The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. I want to share an incredible story set over by Rabbi Chaim Yitzchak Kaplan, the Mashgiach and Chavon Yeshiva, who personally knows the parties involved. There was a young man from a very prestigious Torah family who strayed from the path. There was a young lady from another prestigious Torah family who strayed as well, and the two of them found one another and created a life together. Even though they were not observant in most of Torah and mitzvahs, they did keep Shabbos. That was the one last thing that they still kept. Listen, we know Shabbos is called the ice. It's a sign. As long as a person keeps Shabbos, there's still a connection between them and Hashem. However, when they heard about this incredible music festival that was taking place, they heard that the best part of it would be on Shabbos. The two of them said, hey, you know what? We usually keep Shabbos. Once in a while, you can make an exception. They traveled south to be a part of the music festival. They were there when the terrorists and the Hamas terrorists came and they began to run for their lives. Sadly, both of them were captured by four Hamas terrorists. The leader of the Hamas group, who spoke Hebrew, turned to them and he said to them, we're not even going to waste bullets on you. We're going to use a knife to kill you. They didn't know what to do with one another. They looked at one another. She says to him, she goes, see, it's because we're not keeping Shabbos. Look how quickly and how swiftly the retribution came. And he said as well, you're right, we should have kept Shabbos, then we wouldn't have been in this situation. The leader of this four Hamas group heard that, and he said to them, what did you just say? He knew Hebrew. They said, you want to know what we just said? We just said because we always keep Shabbos, and this Shabbos, we didn't keep Shabbos, we, we, this is what's happening to us. He looks at them and he says to them, I heard in Gaza from the Arabs, the people who keep Shabbos have a special spiritual aura, special spiritual light around them. We're not looking to kill people like you. Run! They ran, they survived, and they lived to tell the tale. Incredible story of the importance of keeping Shabbos and how realizing that when Shabbos is a center part of your life, it could actually save your life. Here's perhaps one of the most incredible stories that have come out of Israel. It was said over by Yitzhak Horowitz, a well-known journalist, who just a few days ago attached himself to a battalion of soldiers in Gaza. Early one morning, they dive in shachars together. They even have a Sefer Torah. And one of the officers asked if he can get an aliyah, if he could get called up to the Torah, so he could recite the Goyma blessing. The blessing where one gives gratitude to Hashem for saving their life. After davening, he goes over to Yitzchak Horowitz and he says, you can't imagine how many miracles we experienced. But here's the one that takes the cake. He says, we paused, we were in the refugee camp called Poshati. And we're sitting there and we're eating lunch. Now, I don't know if any of you know this, but one of the... St- Standard issues in the Israeli army are these little cans of tuna and oil. They're barely edible. So what do soldiers usually do? Not in wartime. They take a match, they put it inside of the little can, the oil catches on fire and it smokes the tuna. This is standard to anyone that's been in the army. This soldier is so used to doing this from the past. Pulls out his little can of tuna, he throws a match inside of it, and the whole thing flares up. One of the fellows next to him says to him, are you out of your mind? There's live ammunition here. You can't light fires. And he panics. And he takes the can of tuna and he throws it as far as he could. Tuna goes, I don't know, a few hundred feet, and it lands, and all of a sudden, there's a tremendous explosion. All the soldiers quickly take their guns, and they aim it on the spot where the explosion is, and they start shooting in that area. When there was a lull in the shooting, they see a white flag coming out from underneath the ground. Hamas terrorist, a militant, with his hands up in the air, and a whole bunch of them follow through. Turns out, the soldier's can of tuna that was on fire landed inside of the opening of a tunnel where terrorists... Arab Hamas terrorists were waiting to come out and shoot this battalion and kill them. It lands in there. They have live ammunition. The ammunition explodes. The Hamas terrorists in the tunnel assume that the Israelis are coming down. They didn't want to be killed. They come out with their hands in the air. Once again, HaKadosh Baruch Hu came through and saved them in the most miraculous and remarkable way. 
Unbelievable Ashkacha Pratis. Unbelievable expression of the hand of Hashem. Barak Nixon is a young fellow who has recently begun his journey back to Yiddishkeit. He shares what happened to him during the massacre at the party in Reim and the incredible miracle that he experienced after pleading from the bottom of his heart to the Rabbi Nishalem, to the master of the universe, to save him. Here are Barak's own words. I told my parents that I wanted to start keeping Shabbat. Recently, I started wearing tefillin, I wear tzitzit, and going forward, I want to start being Shomer Shabbat. The first Shabbat that I kept went smoothly, as did the second Shabbat. The third Shabbat was the Shabbat of the party in Reim. My friends all bought tickets. I also wanted to go, and then I decided that I was going to go to that party. My mother said to me, don't go. You already started keeping Shabbat. But nevertheless, I decided that I was going to go. I got into my car at 4 in the morning and headed to the party. At 6.30 in the morning, a missile hit somewhere in front of me. There was panic. There was a big commotion. People started running. I ran towards the exit where two people who came with me to the party were waiting for me. We ran towards the car, and the monsters were shooting at us. People started dying right in front of our eyes. Finally, we were able to see my car, but at that moment, an RPG hit my car. We started running, and as we did, the monsters in our pickup trucks were shooting at us. We just ran as everything near us and around us was exploding, except for me and for the two people with me. We were surrounded by gunshots, Molotov cocktails, grenades, machine guns, RPGs, and they were slaughtering Jews from every direction around us. For some reason, we decided to change direction and we ran in the opposite direction, back to the party. We and a few other Jewish guys ran in the same direction, and we hid in one of the portable bathroom stalls. Me and two others crowded into one bathroom. We didn't lock the door so there wouldn't be a red marking from the outside that would give away that there was someone inside. We could hear the horror all around us. Together, in that portable bathroom, we cried out to Hashem, Shema Yisrael, and I began to pray, Father in heaven, forgive me. Father. Let there be no sorrow for my parents. Father, I'm sorry. I promise you that from now on I will keep every Shabbos. For everything wrong that I've done, I'll make up for it. And everything that I was supposed to do till this point, going forward, I'll do, and I'll do it out of great love. Just bring me home. Avi Shabbat Shemaim, my Father in heaven. For eight and a half hours, we were inside of this bathroom cubicle. For eight and a half hours, they murdered, tortured, and slaughtered those around us. During those hours, three bullets hit our cubicle, one of which whizzed right over my head. The door didn't open all those hours, despite the grenades, the shooting, explosions all around us, and it wasn't even locked. For eight hours, we were in there, and not a single bullet hit us. During those eight hours, we only did one thing. We davened, we prayed, nothing else. Begging, Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father in Heaven, that there'll be no sorrow for my parents. Suddenly, people with an Israeli accent came and shouted in Hebrew, It's the IDF. Come out. They did this three times. Each time, I wanted to open the door and come out, but one of the people that was with me in the stall grabbed me and said, Be careful. It's those monsters speaking Hebrew trying to draw you out. Sadly, some people did come out, and they were all killed on the spot. Three times, they tried to draw us out, but we stayed put. The only thing that I could think of in those moments is how I promise to do everything that Hashem wants me to. After eight and a half hours of us praying to Avinu Shabbat Shemaim, to our Father in Heaven, we heard IDF soldiers. I'm a Golanchik, so I know their language. They started shouting to them, IDF, IDF, from inside of the stall. The soldier opens the door for us and takes us out. I fell to the ground. All I could see were the stalls next to me, piled with dead bodies. The soldier looked at me and said, you are the last three survivors of this party 
Raim, they didn't believe that there was anyone alive here. I thanked the creator of the world for taking me out of it, and I promised him that I would do everything to make him happy. Thanks to Shabbat and the mitzvah of tefillin and tzedakah that I do, my father in heaven, Avisha Bashamayim, returned me to my parents. Elohim brought me back home. This was my personal miracle. I saw this miracle with my own eyes. I know that Borei Olam was there with me. When Yosef was called to combat, one can only imagine the concern of his family and his friends. Towards that end, his mother decided to try to organize a siyum, learning as a schos for his safety and the safety of all those people in Klai Yisrael who need Yeshua's. Additionally, his mother participated in an initiative where women throughout the entire country created boxes of baked goods and nash and snacks to send to the soldiers who are on the front so that at least they'll have good wishes and a taste of home. One night, in the middle of the night, a truck full of those boxes that had been prepared by the people back on the home front arrives at one of the army camps. A bunch of the soldiers go, they take off a box or two, they put them inside of one of the tents, and the truck drives off into the darkness of the night. Later that night, Yosef takes one of those boxes, he takes his flashlight and he shines his flashlight on it, and his heart nearly stops. On top of the box it says, as a schus, as a mer, for Yosef Doiv, Ben Rinat Rachel, his own name. He opens up the box and there's a note that says, here are baked goods and here are snacks. This is all part of the seam that was done in the schus for the safety of him, Yosef Doiv, Ben Rinat Rachel. And in it were his mother's own cookies. What are the chances of something like that happening? Not very high. In that moment, was just a little tiny flash of lightning in somewhat of a dark life, in a challenging life of many of the soldiers. As if to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I know it's difficult times, but I'm with you, and I'm going to share with you just a moment of radiance, just a moment of illumination. Here are two more flashes of lightning that I personally was part of. This past Monday night, we did an event in New York City for many wonderful young Jewish men and women. Two separate women came over to us and shared something mind-boggling. As part of the evening, we prepared lanyards with name tags so that people could know who one another were. Behind the lanyard, behind the name tags, facing inside of the person, we put a little tiny card with the name of one of the people who was kidnapped. Two women came over to us. One came over to us visibly shaken. says, how did you know? So how do you know what? How do you know that the name that you put in my identity tag is the one person of the kidnap that I know, that I have a personal connection to. And then a second, a young lady came over to us and she said to us, this is incredible, this is amazing. Almost since the beginning of the terrible stuff that went down in Eretz Yisrael, I accepted on myself to daven for one name. This is the name that I've been davening for. And I got her card. Another flash of lightning. As if the Rabbi Shalom was saying, I'm here, I got you, keep strong. Eretz Hashem, you're going to make it to the end. In an interview with Ben Ben Baruch, one of Israel's well-known personalities, this survivor from Be'eri shares a mind-boggling thing. He shares that there was a family that was away the Shabbos of Simchas Taira, and thus they were spared and survived. But the terrorists, seeing that no one was home, in their fury, they burnt the house down to the ground. He shared that the family asked him to please send pictures of what was left, but that there was nothing left in the home besides the blackened walls, a collapsed roof where one could see the sky, not one item had survived the inferno. Well, actually one had. It was a small little wooden shelf that they had somewhere. That was burnt. On the shelf was a cup. That had disintegrated. 
In the cup was a Sefer Tehillim with a vinyl cover. The vinyl cover had melted. All that was left from the entire house, everything that they had, was a Sefer Tehillim that was perfectly intact and legible. Nothing left of their entire past besides for a simple Sefer Tehillim. Remarkable. When push comes to shove, everything that we have is dispensable. Everything can be taken, even our lives. But one thing no one could ever take from us, our amuna, our betachan, and our trust in Hashem. That's truly us. This entire morning, and for a family with a bunch of children in Ofakim, they were rudely awakened by the sirens early in the morning. They took the family, they're kind of used to it, they went into the mamad, they went into the secure room, and they waited there. Some time passed, eventually the sirens stopped sounding, and the husband and two of his sons say, let's go. It's time to go to the Beth Knesset. It's time to go to Shul. The wife was a little bit nervous, and she says, listen, the sirens just stopped sounding. Maybe we should wait a little bit more. But the husband said, listen, we live here in Ofakim. This is normal. It sounds all the time. It's getting late. We have to go to Shul. Now, this family lives right one street away from where the terrorists were hiding and waiting in ambush for people in Ofakim. As the husband and his wife are having this discussion, the terrorists are already on that street, and no one knows about it. The wife says to the husband, for some reason, maybe just wait a little bit more. He says, no, we have to go with Shul. She says, you know what? I have a great idea. What happens when you first come to Shul? You say, Birkas HaShachar. Why don't we do it together as a family? You'll say, Birkas HaShachar, and everyone will answer, Amen. Then the kids will say, Birkas HaShachar, and then I'll say, listen, you come late, you're going to miss Birkas HaShachar. That's okay, because we'll do it at home. The husband says, you know, that's a nice idea. They start with the little kids, and each kid opens up a seder. One by one, they say it, and the whole family answers, Amen. And then the husband takes his two sons' hands, and he's about to open the door, when all of a sudden they hear shrieking from the streets. It sounds in Arabic, and a neighbor comes and bangs on the door and says, Stay inside. There's terrorists out there, and they're killing people. The family stayed inside. Baruch Hashem. They were safe. They were secure. They survived. Kashbrachus chashbainas are complicated. And the schus, maybe, of them answering amen to one another's brachas, this family came out intact, and they're alive to tell the tale. Imagine if just today, we make sure, once, maybe once, before we make our bracha on our coffee, we make it out loud so someone could answer amen. Or we find someone that's about to make a bracha and say, please say it out loud so we could answer amen. It may not save our life, but it'll definitely change our life. I'd like to share an absolutely incredible story heard directly from the fellow that it happened to. And for the skeptics out there, I have his phone number. You can verify it with him. His name is Daniel Avrahami. And him and 12 of his friends were at the tragic music festival. They were there on Friday, Erev Shabbos, Erev Simchas Torah. And all of a sudden, his conscience starts nagging at him. You see, Yom Kippur, just a few weeks earlier, in a moment of inspiration, he had accepted upon himself to keep Shabbos until after Simchas Torah. He knew he wouldn't be keeping Shabbos if he was at the festival. But he turns to his chevra of 12, and he says to them, guys, I'm keeping Shabbos this week. We, we can't stay here. Whoever would like to come with me, I will put them up for Shabbos. Simchas Torah. I'm going to find like an Airbnb, an apartment. I'll take care of the food on the house. Whoever wants to come. Seven of the Chavra said, hey, let's do it. Let's go with you. Five of them said, now we can't miss the music festival. And they stayed behind. He found an apartment last minute. He arranged the food. They showed up a half hour before Shkia, a half hour before sunset. They had a beautiful Simchas Torah evening. They went to Shul. They danced. They had a Gishmaka time. They had a wonderful time. That night, he goes to sleep. As he's sleeping, he has a dream. A friend of his, Yitzchak ben Yosef from Yerushalayim, that had drowned in the Kinneret at the age of 17, comes to him and says to him, I want you to know something. 
that your Shmira Shabbos, your Shabbos observance, along with your friends, has made a tremendous noise in heaven. They can't believe your dedication that you were able to pry yourself away from the festival to keep Shabbos. And I want you to know, because of that, it's going to save your life and your friend's life. He wakes up in cold sweat. He has no idea what, what the dream means. He actually wakes up the next morning and there's sounds of rockets. There's always rockets. And then a few hours later, when he heard about the tragic massacre at the music festival, he realized that his life had been saved. From his five friends that stayed behind, unfortunately, he went to three of their funerals. And two of them, sadly, have been kidnapped to Gaza. He kept the Shabbos, and the Shabbos kept him. It goes without saying that him and his seven chavra are still keeping Shabbos, because they realized the Shmira of Shabbos, the security of Shabbos. We all need to upgrade our Shabbos on some level so we can merit that the Shmira Shabbos, our observance of Shabbos, will ensure that Shabbos will keep us secure. Here is one of the most incredible Hashgacha Pratis, divine providence stories that you've ever heard in your life. I heard this story from a woman whose husband heard it directly from one of the soldiers that was there. It was a group of special forces in Gaza, and they had a bitter morning of fighting, and they were able to neutralize a lot of the targets and threats. At some point, they took a break, and they sat down to eat a quick lunch. You can only imagine when you're in the Shatach, when you're in an active situation, you eat lunch with one finger on the trigger and one finger on the sandwich. And that's exactly what they did. While they're eating, all of a sudden, there's a gunshot. Instinctively, everyone jumps up. Maybe they're being fired upon. One of the soldiers realizes that accidentally he shot his gun. The bullet came out. Looks around, thank God no one's injured. But as everyone was up, they decided to look to make sure that nothing or no one got hurt by that bullet. They walked a few hundred meters from where they were standing, and they saw an entrance to a tunnel. At the top of the entrance, halfway out of the tunnel, was a Hamas terrorist with an RPG aimed at their group with a bullet directly between his eyes. That soldier's gun that fired, quote-unquote, accidentally, that bullet hit him directly between the eyes, killed him, and saved the entire platoon. You know what they say? Every bullet has an address. In this situation, the Rabbi Nishalim directly intervened, quote-unquote, neutralized the threat, and they all lived to tell the story. And I know I'm going to get emails and messages, do you know is this story verified? Like I said, I heard it directly. But do we doubt that Hashem could do such a thing? Of course HaKadosh Baruch could do it. HaKadosh Baruch could do anything. And it's time for us to be mechazek aramuna, to take inspiration from stories like this and try to see Hashem's hand in each of our lives. Because ultimately, that's the way we have to live. Just last week, a terrible tragedy in Israel was averted. Here's the backstory. There was a platoon of soldiers that was fighting in Gaza. It was the middle of the night and they were advancing, building by building, street by street, to try to root out the enemy and to bring safety everyone back in Eretz Yisrael. Back at the base camp at the border of Gaza, there was a tent. And in that tent were computer screens and monitors. That's where the reconnaissance, that's where the intelligence, the eyes on the ground from the drones and the satellites was being fed into. And it's their job to make sure that if there happens to be a threat ahead of the advancing platoon, they notify them and they save their life. It's 2 a.m. One of the soldiers was sitting at the computers is about to finish his shift. He says, you know what? Let me take one last glance. He takes one last glance at the computer monitors and his blood freezes. He sees that not more than a few hundred meters away from the advancing platoon is a building and in that building are many Hamas soldiers and it seems like they have RPGs and they have all kinds of guns and stuff like that and they're laying in ambush waiting for this advancing platoon of soldiers. He quickly sounds the alarm. They halt the soldiers. They tell them to find cover. 
They bring in the Air Force. Air Force shoots a missile. They neutralize the force and they save the lives of the entire platoon. Later that day, the platoon came back to base camp near the Gaza border. And one of them happened to wander into the intelligence, the reconnaissance tent. And he sees this fellow who was now back on duty. And he's sitting by multiple computer screens, kind of leaning back. He's got a stack of snack bags. He's got the Bisley and the Bamba that was sent by kind people in Israel to the soldiers. And he tells the soldier, just on a whim, he says to him, he says to him, take a look at the contrast between the two of us. I'm covered in mud and I'm covered in muck and grime and I'm fighting and I'm putting my life on the line every moment that I'm out there in Gaza and you're sitting here eating snacks, eating bamba. Very humbly, the fellow at the computer says, I want to share with you something that happened last night at 2 a.m. And he shares with him how he saved his life. The soldier is very moved. Obviously, he gets up and he gives a big hug to the fellow that was sitting at the computer and he realizes that they're both critical for the safety of the platoon. This story is very empowering because we may be sitting in the United States, in South Africa, or even in Israel, away from the battlefront, and may think to ourselves, what we're doing is not important, and it's not true. Every tefillah, every kapikal of Tehillim that we say, every action, every chesed, every mitzvah that we do, every time we feel for our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael, that does something for the people on the ground. And we may be sitting in the comfort and the security of our own homes, but we can't minimize the importance. It's critical that we continue to daven, that we don't lose the feelings that we had in the beginning, that we continue to do mitzvahs, that we continue to do chesed, And we continue to take things to the next level because everything that we do is critical. It makes a real difference. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. StoriesToInspire.org